Well, good morning, Salem. It's great to see you guys. Uh, my name is Seth. I'm one of the, the pastors here uh, at Salem. So uh, I say this often. If I have not gotten a chance to meet you, I would love to meet you. Sometimes I'm back here. Sometimes I'm up there. But I want to try and get out there so I can say goodbye to people as they head out. So Baptism Sunday, uh, one of my favorite Sundays of, of every year as we celebrate baptisms. And you'll, you'll see why as we get to talk about boasting in the Lord today, this idea of salvation being outside of myself and the work of God. And so we're glad that you guys are here. Uh, We're in this uh, series uh, called For This City, which is a study through the book uh, of Jeremiah. And uh, we're moving towards uh, Easter, uh, some very significant passages coming up, some really, really key, core, central passages to understanding uh, Jesus in light of Old Testament, Old Testament in light of Jesus, and and all that stuff. So one of those passages that we're moving towards is in Jeremiah 29, uh, and it's actually where we got the name of this series called For This City. And so if you haven't gotten a chance to pick up one of these cards. You can grab one at the hub uh, right after church, and it has uh, some verses on it, uh, and I encourage you to grab one and put it somewhere where you can find it. Uh, maybe it's in your Bible, in your bathroom, in your car, whatever, so you can uh, keep, keep it on the forefront of your mind, maybe memorize it, uh, all those types of things. So really, really good stuff. So uh, as, we, as we seek to be, uh, to seek the welfare uh, of the city in which God has placed us, I wanted to share uh, just kind of just a couple of big, bigger picture things before before we jump in uh, this morning of some things that happened this week uh, that I think are are just really uh, important and and, uh, crucial to see as we seek the welfare of the city. The first one, uh, this picture up here, uh, this is uh, Brady and Aaron, and there's a bunch of other staff that just don't happen to be in this picture, uh, but this is at Ellen Hopkins, and Ellen Hopkins is a local elementary school just down the road, really, um, and uh, this is a place uh, that we have really, uh, our hope uh, has been to really kind of adopt them as a school, as a staff, and if you, you may remember that we raise all these, uh, this, um, these jackets or collect all these jackets and winter gear for the kids at the school, we dropped them off, and that kind of just started this relationship. And, uh, and so here we are, what, we, what we've chosen to do and, uh, is to basically, um, how do we say this, we're going to sponsor their late start days. And so every, every semester when they have late starts, we're going to come in as a staff and we feed the 120 people on their team. And, uh, and so this is the pic- first picture, and the next picture just kind of, it just wraps around, there's just people all the way down uh, the aisle, and uh, honestly, it was just a ton of fun, um, and uh, schools are just struggling, teachers are struggling, the life of kids is just really hard right now, and so a part of our challenge to all of us at Salem this week uh, is, is as we seek to be praying for the welfare of the city, that we'd ask you to be praying for schools and for teachers and kids and, and all the stuff in all schools, but um, so yeah, here's Ellen Hopkins, so seeking the welfare of the city, really, really fun stuff together as a staff. Um, we took some leftover foods to New Life Center, if you don't know, New Life Center is, is led by, I have no clue what his title is, and I'm just going to just go with that. Uh, his name's Rob, Rob Swears. Um, and uh, Rob is, uh, he was, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but this is the fourth year in a row they've done this. There's like a little press conference and everything. Uh, he and about four or so other staff members, they slept outside on Wednesday night in prep for Giving Hearts Day. Um, and uh, it's this whole idea with this, this desire and want to bring awareness to the community of, Sal- of, of Fargo-Moorhead to, to 
understand and seek to what it's like uh, in the culture that we live in, in, in the climate that we live in, to be a person without a home. And so um, here he is, um, cuddled, cuddled up nice and cozy. So uh, if you don't know who Rob is, now you do. So, yeah, so here's Rob. So a couple of really neat things, a couple of really neat things uh, going on this, this last week for, as we seek to engage the welfare of this city. So uh, like I said, we're in this series called uh, for, this, uh, for This City, and um, We've been talking a lot uh, for the last uh, four weeks. This is week five, I believe, of this series. Uh, and this is one of those things where idolatry continues to come out. It continues to be kind of at the forefront of God's mind. Um, and uh, I just want to kind of set the stage for us a little bit this morning. Because if we were to think about um, this, I just contrast two words for us, like the idea of insecurity. Like if I'm standing in a place of insecurity in my life, it means that, that there is very little, if anything, that I have full confidence in. Now, we're designed as Christians to have full confidence in the gospel and in Jesus, and, right? And yet we know that at the end of every day, this is always a battle. It's always a struggle. And so when I stand in a place of insecurity, what I sense oftentimes is that, that void or emptiness in my life. And so you could see how being in a place of insecurity um, makes idolatry pretty easily accessible for us because we experience it all the time. So what do we want to do? We want to run. We want to run to those things and grab and fill those things and pull them into our life, right? So that's a place of insecurity. But if we were to kind of come to the other side of the stage, right, and this is a place of pride, right? Pride is different from insecurity um, because it's not going after all sorts of things, but it's the, it's the positions that says, I know exactly what I want, and this is who I am, and this is what I need, and this is the way that life should look. Right? And so we come at this, and so it's this, this stubborn idolatry. This is my one idol type of a thing, or, or whatever that is. Right? And so this morning, uh, we might be in different places this morning, but, but I want to set the stage as we talk in Scripture this morning. We're going to look at idolatry from this position right here, this, uh, this idea of pride. And pride is um, a silly, silly thing. Pride is a very silly thing. It's a very real thing, but it's very silly. Um, just as a, in a moment of um, authenticity, I believe in the idea of struggling well, which means that everybody has struggles, myself included, all struggles. The struggle well is, simply means to be able to point myself or to point anybody else to Jesus at any given moment and to look at the cross and to look at the gospel, right? Um, and so in this space, I'm just going to be authentic and say, for me, an area of pride is in sports, Okay always had this struggle, always been just, just challenging for me. I, I love the idea of competition. Uh, I love the idea of getting out and giving it my all, right? That's just how I'm wired. It's how I'm designed. But pride, when pride enters in, like somehow that can, things can switch really quickly. And I was reminded this week of a story um, because as the sun came out on Friday, maybe if you're like me, you saw all the snow melting. I was like driving around in my Jeep, like just splashing through puddles joyfully like a kid. I'm like, here comes spring! And then Saturday came, and I was like, okay, yeah, this is terrible. Um, <laughs> so help me hang in there with you, okay? Please, just come, come alongside me, grab me, and say it's okay. Um, 
And so as I was thinking about this idea of golf and just getting out on the golf course, and, and it reminded me of this moment um, way back when, because when I was younger, I used to be pretty good at some of these things. And so I remember this moment, I was out of driving range. And um, when, you, when you really want to be good at golf, you need to be practicing. And so you're, you're hitting anywhere from 500 to a couple thousand shots a day. Um, and so I remember one day where I was out really practicing, and so you have to go through this, this pre-shot routine, right, where you check your stance, your posture, your height. Your, your distance, and then and every time you're doing it, you're checking your progressions, you know, where am I at, and how's my body, like, how's it working, and this swing, and all this stuff, and then you step back, and then you double check your alignment, where am I aiming, right? Most people just go and just hit, 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 but to get good, you have to, like, just walk through this the whole time, and so I was doing this this one day, um, and I was really just in a groove, and I was in the moment, and I was just, I was really focusing, this is, this is about my golf game, so this is serious, right? So I want to do well. All of a sudden, I turn around, and I see two gals behind me. There's an older gal and a younger gal. Older gal says, don't mind us, or don't mind me. Uh, she goes, I'm a, I'm a golf coach at the local university, and I'm showing uh, my student here your pre-shot routine, I'm showing her your swing, and I'm showing you all these things, or showing her. And I thought, oh, cool, no big deal, right? And so, because it didn't register. And then I turn around, and I get ready to do my next shot, and all of a sudden, something switches. <laughs> There's this click, right? You went from no big deal to, oh. <laughs> she's using me to teach her. This is, this is incredible. <laughs> when has this ever happened? Never, let me just tell you. Never has this happened, ever. And it's this weird moment for me. And so I'm like, okay, I get up, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna check this out. Just, just wait, <laughs> you know? And I do this, and I get up on top of the ball, and I am going through everything, but it's, it's in my head. There's something there, right? I do my swing, I hit the ball, and I look up, and it's not there. It goes like this. Like no more than three feet off the ground and about 100 yards to the left. First one of the day. Seriously, like I had been getting good, and then I did that. And I just held my pose, and I went, huh. I turn around, and they're long gone. <laughs> I think she's hot. She's like, well, <laughs> right? Pride is a silly thing. It's very, very silly. And yet, for us, it's a part of our every single day. And here's what's unique in that moment, is that oftentimes when pride comes into play, what happens is there's this internal click, right? And the world shifts, and reality goes upside down, because what was the way that it was supposed to be, and the way that I was practicing for the right reasons, all of a sudden does this. And the world now becomes all about me and everything that I want it to be in that moment. And that's what happens, that's what pride did. And here's what I find so oftentimes in my life and maybe you find it in your life, is that pride has a way of exposing your idols. What you hold true and what you long for, the way this is the way that it's supposed to be, and this is what I want people to see me as, right? This is, this is, the, this is the reality. And so here's the deal. Before you say, okay, we're, gosh, it's week five, we should stop talking about idolatry, this has nothing to do with me, like just get me out of this series, let's move on and talk about whatever, something other than idolatry, right? Uh, here's what I want you to hear. Before you do that, before you make that leap in your heart, 
heart to say, gosh, I always feel like I'm going to fall into this thing. Um, So before you make that leap, here's what I want you to know. When God wrote Jeremiah, he wasn't on a word count. Which, which means this, when God and, like, and the Holy Spirit and Jesus are like planning the Bible, they're talking through this, and they're like, okay, gosh, when it comes to idolatry, we need at least 5,000 words, right? And so you're like, okay, so you start, gosh, I feel like my hand, carpal tunnel, come on, like I've only written 500, okay, well, what else can I say? Just keep going, just keep going, same thing, over and over and over, right? And sometimes that's the way that Jeremiah can feel. But here's the reality, God was not on a word count, so here's what you need to know, is that every single thing that Jeremiah writes on idolatry, in fact, every single thing that the entire Bible writes about on idolatry is because God wanted it there, and because it needs to be there because this is the nature of the human heart. The human heart is an idol factory. It's constantly producing, and it's constantly seeking things to worship other than God. So before you make that leap, I want you to remember that. Here's a a definition of idolatry that maybe will help broaden your perspective. So just kind of stepping back again as we're entering in, before we enter into the text. A guy named Dick Keyes uh, said this, he says, in this society, our idols tend to be in clusters. Okay, coming together. They are inflationary, they have short shelf lives, they change, adapt, and multiply quickly as if by mitosis or cell division. And an idol can be anything, can be physical property, a person, an activity, a role, an institution, a hope, an image, an idea, a pleasure, a hero. Gosh, you're like, at this point, just, just write every single word you can think of, Dick Keys. Yeah, just keep going. But how, here's how he ends it. He says, here's the deal. An idol can be anything that can substitute for God. And so when we begin to think about this, we go, nah, that's not me. I'm, I'm like, my heart can't make that jump. And then we hear that, we go, yeah, there's so many areas and ways in which life, idolatry is there. And so there's this question that I have as I wrestled through this week, like, why? Why is idolatry so appealing to us? Right? Well, for starters, we know that our heart is, is deceitful above all things, and there's this thing called depravity and fallen nature, and so we're always trying to fill that. We know that that's true. But when it comes to specific idols, why, is it so, why are they so appealing? And here's, here's three things. The first thing is this, is that I think that idols are tactile. Like, they're very tangible. Like, they're right in front of you. Like, you go to the store, what do you find? Shelves and shelves and shelves of idols of things that, that become or can represent symbolically, figuratively, metaphorically, whatever it is, however you want to talk about it, shelves of things that can be our idols, right? And so when we look at that, we go, gosh, this is neatly packaged. It's right here, right here in this space. And when I think about those shelves and I think about God being over here, we know that God is God and there's no one like him, and we'll talk about that in a second, but here's the reality. Like, I can't grasp God in the same way I can grasp this on a shelf. That's just different, it's harder, it's challenging. The second thing is that idols are very beautiful. Right? They're appealing because they have this sense and when we look at them, we go, man, like, I need some of that in my life. I, I long for that in my life. Right? And it might be subtle, it might be overt, who knows? But it's something like, oh, gosh, I need that. I would love to have that. And here's the third reason, and I think this is, this is, like, this is so pandemic, right? It's this idea that everyone is doing it. Right, both outside the church and inside the church. 
right? We all are just pursuing, myself included, we pursue idols, whether we know it or we don't know it. And so, gosh, we don't want to be left out of that. So it's super appealing. You've got God on this shelf, and you've got idols that are right here, right now. They're beautiful. And I look around, and I go, he just took one. She just took one, you know, and we want them. We take them into, into our life. And so as we were to, if we were to kind of summarize chapters 8 and 9 of Jeremiah as we jump into uh, chapter 10, here's what I want you to know. Kind of this word that God uses to describe his people is that there's been this general backsliding. He's talking to Judah and Israel, and it's this idea of like, like they're on a slippery, muddy hill, and they just kind of keep going down. <laughs> and backwards. They're backsliding down, and they're not fighting really for, for God or for those things. It's this contentness with just kind of sliding down the hill and backwards and moving backwards in, in their faith, right? And so that's where, that's where kind of what's happening. And in fact, it's even changing the community, right? Because there's this deterioration of worshiping God vertically, which then has all these horizontal effects, right? There's injustice in the world, massive injustice and impression that we seek out or just miss. And yet at the core of that, there's this group of people, right, at the center, the nexus of that, like that vertical and horizontal is this group of people. And what God says to Jeremiah is he says, beware of your neighbor and don't trust a brother because everyone is a liar. Like, how do you go, yeah, gosh, like, I want to be a part of that community. Like, that sounds really, really fun. Well, granted, they all get to pull whatever they want in life and take for themselves, but look at the ramifications. Vertical, is hosed, right? This is power. This is powerful, right? This is scattered. And here, even in this, even in this, like nexus, it's just challenging. It's painful, and it's hard. And so, as, as Jeremiah is giving these words to the people, what he grieves before God is this: He says, "My joy is gone." God, I'm doing everything that you've asked me to do. I'm saying everything that you asked me to say, and yet, at the end of the day, can I be honest with you? I am so tired of this. In fact, he asks this question. He says, is there anybody wise who will listen? Is there anyone who is wise who will listen? And so we're going to carry that theme of wisdom into the very end of chapter 9. So if you've got a Bible, I invite you to look at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 23. And here's what he says. He says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, right? So there's that wise theme being carried through. Uh, Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. And when you hear those three things, you go, gosh, this is what it means to be human in so many ways, right? Right? Wisdom. So knowledge, wisdom, like power and wealth. Like these these are the epitome of what it means to be human in our depraved nature, right? We long for these things. We go after them. And what God is saying is like, like this is not where, this is not where it's at, guys. This is not where it is. In fact, the word boast here, um, you know, we probably, we probably all understand this generically, that to boast is the idea of expressing our confidence in something. So whether it's in something or someone, we say, this is where my confidence is, this is what I'm putting my trust in, and therefore this is, this is what I'm boasting. I'm speaking of it because this is, this is where I have my security and my confidence, right? And in fact, though, in the Hebrew, though, this is actually moving towards this idea of self-congratulations, like patting yourself on the back, like pat, 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 pat. 
Pat. It's this idea of like the things that we use in life, whether overtly or subtly, very simply, to pat ourselves on the back. Where we say, gosh, this is, this is about me and what I did. And what it can actually do is it can actually expose the idolatry underneath, these things that we put our trust in, the things um, that, uh, that we hold very, very dear uh, to us. And God says, like, don't, don't boast in these things. Guys, and this is so hard because boasting is part of the culture that we live in. We, we, and oftentimes, in many ways, we, um, we emulate the culture around us, which is this idea of celebrity culture, right? Like we have actors and actresses and, and athletes who we quite literally give idols. <laughs> and we're like, hey, here's an award for, and this is, this is the accomplishment. This is everything that represents your accomplishments in life, and here you go right? And we put them on shelves and, and trophies and all these things. And with the wrong perspective, this can become an idol. And we put this in our life. We celebrate this in our culture. We throw people into that environment. Here's the scary thing. It happens even in church. Because church can become a celebrity spotlight because it's all about pastor-centric. It can be about, I follow such and such. I follow him. I follow him. Like, we, we live in this world. And it can be a very dangerous thing. And here's what I want us to know. Like, here's this, here's this reality. Like, even Paul said, like, when they say, I follow Paul, I follow Paulos, right? He's, he's talking about the different roles. But ultimately, it's about Jesus, right? Like, this is the main thing. And when you look at Jesus, every single time that Jesus is thrown into the spotlight to become king, what does he do? He pulls himself out of the spotlight every single time. The only time that Jesus is interested in being the hero is when he has to die on a cross for our sins. And that's a pretty bad place to want to be the hero, right? You don't want that in our life. And yet that's the one space. In every other area of life, when Jesus is thrust into the idea of kingship, you should be king, or we'll, oh, we'll follow you, Jesus says he pulls back and he says, like, gosh, that's not what I'm here for. Jesus was a hero when it comes to salvation, but in everything else, he was a hero maker. He was about a disciple maker, right? He would send people, equip people, and send them into the world. He moved away from that celebrity culture, right? This is who Jesus was, and this is what he did. And for us, as we think about the things that we boast in, right, it's not always this big, massive, overt. Like, not many of us are getting awards. <laughs> like, you go to, maybe you're going go to go to work this week, and they say, hey, congratulations. Here you go. Here's your award. Maybe they do that. I don't know. Um, but it's much more subtle and simple in our life where we pat ourselves on the back, where we say, man, I, did, I got a really good grade on that test. Man, I got a really good review at work today. I went to the grocery store and somebody commented on how well-behaved my kids were, right? Pat, 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 pat. And it's these things that we may not realize. They're good things, but we may not realize. These are things that we, that we end up putting our confidence in, and we do this all the time. And what God says through Jeremiah to these people, as he says this in verse 24, he says, but rather, like, here's the contrast, but, right? Don't boast in these things. Don't boast in wisdom. Don't boast in uh, might. Don't boast in riches. Rather, here's what I want you to boast in. He says, but let him who boasts, boasts in this, right? He doesn't say boasting is bad. He just says, here's the qualifier. Boast in this, that he understands and knows me. 
that's, that's the substance, that's the foundation for any boasting. It's not boasting in ourselves. It's not boasting in anything that I have or can do. It's all about who God is and what he does. Because when you look at even this, right, he's not just some collection of attributes. Like sometimes we think about God and we just kind of throw all these words together. We go, that's God. And God says, like, here's the deal. You guys wouldn't know a whole lot about me if I, just, if I didn't do them. Because you know my attributes by what I do. He says, this is who I am. I practice these things. I am the Lord who practices. These are the things that I value. These are the things that I do. What do I do? I do steadfast love, I do justice, and I do righteousness in the earth. So man, what does man do? Wisdom, wealth, power. God says love, justice, and righteousness. These are the things that I value, he says. Right? And these are the things that I am known for in this world. In fact, what does he say? He says, I delight in these things. These are the things I really delight in. Steadfast love, right? This is like, like the idea of grace in the Old Testament. This, this never, this always bending but never breaking mercy of God. Right? That's his love. He goes, this is, this is the primary. This is the basis for our, for our covenant relationship, he says. I am interested in you and I being in right relationship. That's my interest. That's the real thing. I do justice. He says, I want to enter into this world. I see a broken world in desperate need of repair, and so I want to enter in and put the world to right. That's what I want to do, God says. I want to act justice to act justly. I want to treat people, right, with dignity and honor, no matter their color of skin, no matter, right, their history or their past or what their job is or where they live or whatever it is, whether they're a Bengals fan or a Rams fan or a whoever fan. I'm not going to say Vikings, right? Here's the deal, right? He says, we, I want to do justice, I want to do justice, he says, and I want to be about righteousness, which is this idea of like what is right and good. That's what God says that I want to be about. And he says that this, that this is the same characteristics that we, being made in the image of God, are meant to reflect in this world. And if you look at Micah 6.8, which is a very common um, verse in the Old Testament, you may have heard this. But if not, here you go. It says, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God, right? This is what's good. This is what the Lord requires. This is what the Lord is asking. And this is like one of those things where bumper stickers and t-shirts don't do it justice, right? Like that's a weird thing if you're wearing a shirt that proclaims that and then you actively don't do justice in a moment. That's called irony, right? It's painful, that juxtaposition, when that happens in our life, and yet we do, right? And we know these things, and so we're called into this. And so it pushes us back to that question of boasting. Go, gosh, like, what am I boasting in in my life? What, what is my confidence really in in this life? If I were to really boil it down, if I were to give it some deep thought, what are the things that I am, I am confident in? And what are these things, these areas in my life where I am patting my back and saying, good job, Seth? Good job, Seth, because those types of things, if they move to the spotlight, they dethrone God. And in those, that pride in those moments can reveal my idolatry, and it's this need to put God back on the throne, right? What are we boasting in, right? Uh, are we boasting in God? Are we boasting in anything else? 
And so here's what Jeremiah is going to do. Jeremiah is going to transition into these, these contrasts. He's going to show us God, and he's going to show us idols. And what he's going to do is he's going to shut up, set up like the, the foolishness of these idols compared to the living and true God, so that in the contrast, we begin to go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'm foolish. Contrast can be very, very helpful in life. Sometimes in life, contrast uh, can be very painful, um, but, pain, but, but contrast can also reveal the, the hidden lies underneath of whatever the, the, the story is. Uh, when, when Nikki and I uh, first moved into our house here, we only had these kind of these two older couches because we couldn't bring the other couch because our dog ate it, um, and, uh, and so we needed a new couch. And so what we did is that we went on this journey to about... I don't know, seven to ten furniture stores, uh, and, and I'll, just, I'll just be polite and spare you the details and say that it was a very robust dialogue about what the purpose of a couch is, what color the couch should be, what shape the couch should be, uh, what fabric the couch should be, and we each if I were to be honest, we each were standing in this zone because we each had this idea of this is what it needed to be. And part of my, part of my um, uh, rubric in that moment was I didn't want to spend time looking at, at 800 couches. And so I just wanted to get one and move on. <laughs> Right, uh, and yet Nikki had her idea of what she wanted too. And so we looked at these different couches and we're, and we're, we're dialoguing <laughs> <laughs> healthily um, at times. Um, and, uh, and I remember this one moment when Nikki looked at me and she goes, Seth, if, if we buy that kind of a couch, someone's ring is going to catch on that fabric and snag the fabric. And I was like, who thinks of that? Who cares? You know? Like, that was my prideful response. I'm like, that's not going to happen. That might, yeah. You know, like type of thing. Like you get in the zone. You're like, like this is the way it ought to be. And what happened is, is that we began to, like, as the emotions calmed um, after this healthy dialogue, as emotions calmed, as we kind of came together, what we actually began to see was the contrasts. We saw the pluses of this couch and the pluses of that couch, the minuses of this couch and the minuses of this couch. And what we ended up doing is that we found the couch that we needed, right? Because by looking at the contrast, we were able to expose the reality. And when you're a you oftentimes don't see life the way that it really is. And you don't see that which you actually need most. And what we needed was a blend of those couches. I'm done with the couch, okay? So here's the deal, right? Like this is reality. Pride doesn't allow us to see the things that we, that we oftentimes need to see uh, in, in our life, right? And so when you think about this, this, this whole idea of contrast, right, we see the, the hidden lives, the hidden lies underneath. And so what Jeremiah does in these, just these first few verses of chapter 10 is that, and we're not going to unpack these very much because really this text just speaks for itself. All he's going to do is he's going to set up gods versus the living, gods versus the living God, idols versus the living God, okay? Uh, and it's, it's really very simple, honestly, to understand. The first contrast is this. He's going to look at the weakness of idols versus the power of God. Okay? Chapter 10, verse 1. He says, Learn not the ways of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are vanity, like this little puff of smoke. And so what he's going to do is he's going to share with us and, and explain why he thinks that's true. Okay? A tree from the forest is cut down, 
and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with a hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. Okay. Do you know what I hear when I read this? I think of this like DIY project at home. Like this is the do-it-yourself idol making, right? This do-it-yourself, whatever God you want to follow, right? And so you picture this guy who goes out, he chops down a tree, he brings it back, and then what does he do? He works behind like, like, like this curtain, and you're constantly wondering what he's doing and what's it going to look like, and he's saying he's fashioning his idol. He's fashioning a symbol of the God in which he is going to serve, that he's going to bow down to, right? This is what he's doing, and it's not that he's just speaking figuratively. Guys, this is real. This is literal. Like, this is what people do. They, they cut down trees, they carve them, and so you're always wondering, like, what's it going to look like? And it's comical in my mind that it's, you're, like, you're like behind the, the curtain and you're watching, going, man, what's it going to look like? What's, what's it going to look like? And he, like? and he pulls it out and he's like, okay, you ready? And he sets it in the ground and you're like, it's a scarecrow. It's a scarecrow. It's comical. Why? Why, why would you like carve that? And this is this is like real, this is literal. Like what they're they're doing, they're, they're building these idols that are like scarecrows. And you look at why would I worship that? But there's no, there's nothing about that that is good, right? In fact, I, I love this idea. Um, the word uh, "do not move." So it's fashion, right? He carves it from wood. He covers it with gold. He bedazzles it and puts all those cool jewels on with the bedazzler thingy, right? And he puts it in the ground. And it's like, have you ever tried to to balance something that won't stand up? Like you put a pencil and it keeps falling. Like this is the image here. You put the idol down, and it says so that it doesn't move. They have to hammer it in because there's the picture. You put the scarecrow down. And you go, <laughs> that's cool. Look at my whoop. You have to pull it back up because it can't stand on its own over and over. And so what do they do? They hammer it down so that it can't move. This is idolatry, right? This is it. And they say, gosh, like, guys, we need to move to the other side of town. Cool. Just wait. Let me grab my, let me grab my God. Okay, here we go. Because it can't walk. Can't talk. And he says, don't fear them. Like, he can't talk to you. He said, you don't even need to fear this God. Why? Because it can't do you any harm. It can't hurt you right? But here's the flip side, it can't help you either. And you're like, why? This is foolish. Why would I worship this? And yet this is what's happening. This is what's happening. And it's not just happening with idols that look like scarecrows. It happens in our lives. We go, why? Why do I put my confidence? Why do I boast in that? Why do I put my confidence in that? Why do I trust that in my life when I have to keep nailing it down, right? It's like I have to keep solidifying this to actually have permanence in my life. It keeps tipping, right? It keeps tipping, and I have to keep making it permanent, right, in my life, right? You have to carry it, like, everywhere you go. He says, you can't, you can't put your confidence in this, but let me give you something that you can. Look at this. This just speaks for itself. Verse 6. He's talking about God here, right? He says, there is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. So the contrast here is this weakness to power. Like these idols, they can't do anything on their own. You have to do everything for them. It's like a wooden baby. They can't do it. And here, here's God. He's this full of might. 
Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due for among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms. There is none like you. Guys, you walk into a store and you look to the left and idols are a dime a dozen. You look to the right and it's God. And there's no one like him. But when I look at the idols, I see that they're tangible. So I can grab it right now. It's beautiful and everyone else is doing it. And so it's easy for me to do this. And yet when you compare the two, you go, wow, these, are, these, have, these have nothing and they have no power. But God over here is the true God with full power. That's the God that we're called to worship. And all of a sudden we go, man, it's foolish for us to even think about anything else. And yet he makes a second contrast. Here it is, verse 8. He talks about idols. He says, they are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Beaten silver is bought, brought from Tarshish and then gold and from Euphaz. Right? They are the work of the craftsman in the hands of a goldsmith. Their clothing is violet and purple. They are all the work of skilled men. Right? What is he saying? He's just saying that they're lifeless. There's nothing in. There's nothing in these. And, and when I think about this in my own life, whatever it is, how, how is a computer any different from this idol. It's something that's created, pieced together by a craftsman, and put together. And you go, Seth, I don't worship a computer. Oh, but what if we use computers to do this? Pat our backs. I'm not worshiping the computer, but there's something underneath sometimes that I go, it's about self-congratulations. I'm using it to create something to boast in, whatever that is in my life. Here's the contrast. Here's the living God, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. You see, in our life, our lives are riddled with the temporary. Everything has a beginning and an end. That's the way that it is, right? Everything has a shelf life, right? And that's why we have to keep swapping off of those shelves. And yet God says, here I am. I'm the eternal king, no start, no end, constantly able to do all that you need, right? That's, that's the reality. And, and I wish I had more time to maybe go through these next couple, but I just want to just list them off just for the sake of time, right? Because these, the characteristics, the qualities or attributes of the idols is that in these next verses, it says that they're imposters. And yet of God, it says that he is the creator God, right? So he has control over all the meteorological things. And so like, here's the irony in this story. It's like when, when God shakes the heavens and the earth, that's when your idol begins to totter. <laughs> and God's like, and then I have to come back and I have to re-solidify my idol. And then he does it again. I have to come back and do it again. And this is idolatry in our lives. We have to keep coming back to those things. And yet what he says is that they are imposters and God is the creator. It also says in this next verses 14 to 16, it says that these idols are frauds. And when you compare them to God, he says, I am Yahweh. Right? You remember the story like when Elijah um, is, is like over on the mountain and God shows up and he's there. Actually, go back even further to, to Moses and God shows up and says, what? What is he talking about? Like this whole thing is God interacting with the world, right? And to Elijah, he says, like, I am Yahweh. This is who I am. I will. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. What other idol in the history of all of the world can show up in a personal way and say, this is my name? 
That is powerful. That is the Lord, right? And he is the God who engages creation, by the way, in justice and in loving kindness and in righteousness. And so to give us this fuller picture of what, what the contrast here that Jeremiah is, that God is making through Jeremiah, when you look at the, the qualities and the attributes of the idols, here's what it is. They are weak, lifeless, imposters, frauds. In contrast, here's what it says about God. It says that he is the powerful, living creator, Yahweh. And when you begin to put those two together, it's like this was the other couch. There's something more that we need in this moment, right? This is what we're missing and it's what we need to find. I wanna end with these questions for you guys this morning as we move, we're gonna move into this end as we celebrate baptism. But just for sake of self-reflection for each of us, um, ask yourself this question, what am I boasting in right now? Like what is my confidence in? What are those things, whether it's really big and overt or maybe it's those simple things that I'm doing that I just keep patting my back where it's where I'm, I'm looking to myself and to my own world and to my own creations as opposed to God. So just ask yourself, what am I boasting in? And here's the second one. And where is that actually spilling into the rest of your life? Because here's what's so interesting. As we're gonna celebrate baptism, what's baptism so is really is this idea, it's, spot, like it's bringing it back to the center. Right? It's this idea of saying there's all these other things that I could pursue in life and what I am choosing to do in being baptized is I'm publicly making a witness of my faith to say that I want Jesus to be front and center Lord of my life, full surrender. It's not boasting in myself. It's not boasting in wealth or might or riches. In fact, if anything, it's about boasting in the Lord. That's what baptism is. It celebrates this turn to Jesus, right? And so we say, what are we baptized or what are we what are we boasting in and where is it spilling into the rest of our life? Because we need to bring it to the center. And as always, here's my challenge to you guys this week, and I said this earlier, but together as we're a church, as a body, individually, collectively, as we want to seek the welfare of the city that we're in, I ask you just to pray for local schools this week, for teachers and kids and everyone in between. Let's pray. Lord, this week, yesterday even, as I was here at Al Henderson's memorial service, the celebration of his life, which it truly was, I, I caught this glimpse, this glimpse of a man who's been following Jesus, who had so many things, so many accolades in life as a, as a military fighter pilot, as an NDSU professor, as a leader of, of, of boards and groups and the connections that he had. Though at the end of every single day, what Al's life was about was about his following Jesus and following Jesus with people and loving on his wife loving on his kids and loving on his grandkids. And it's a man that I look at and go, I got far too little time with this man who served as a great example for what it means to follow Jesus. And the one thing that I heard both specifically and collectively was, was this line that Al boasted in the Lord. His life was not about him. His life was about God and his life was about others. And as we move into this time, God, of celebration and baptism and, and spotlighting Jesus and spotlighting this, this decision for people to, to make Jesus front and center, this joyful thing, here's what I want people to hear. Here's my prayer for each of us, myself included. It is a joyful thing to give our entire life to Jesus. 
that we would boast only in the Lord. And Lord, this passage came to mind. I want to read this just as we move right into our time. And it's from 1 Corinthians 1, 26. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Lord, we celebrate the, the, the people that are being baptized this morning. And Lord, would you just continue, continue to draw each and every one of us closer into the image of our creator. Lord, we celebrate you and all that you've done. In your name we pray, amen.